0: want to talk about this phrase, who cares that much? And really that phrase is connected to who cares really that much for humanity. And uh, just getting ready and praying about this, that's a real question, you know, because we live in a society today where people are demanding if you care for people, you get them out of poverty and you give them money that somebody else made and there's all kinds of things, you know, and they're demanding this. I, I saw a thing on TV where some counsel was there, and this guy who was over this big bank and this girl who lived in this neighborhood who couldn't make enough, and, and she was in an introduction job, you know, and she was making, you know, introduction wages. And she was a parent, one kid, no husband, trying to make it, and they're like, well, what are you going to do about this to the head of the bank, I was thinking, why is it his responsibility? And somebody said, well, they're demanding this. Well, we make choices, we make decisions, and we can't just force things out of other people. That's not God's design, and it's not his way, and we think everybody should care, and ultimately there really is only one that cares. I mean the right way. And we can care too, we can help people, And I'm not against helping people. I want people to all be blessed and all have a full supply. But I found this, you cannot put your trust in man and demand things from men and think that they care for you enough to really help you out and solve your problems. I mean this really came to light. Years ago, I went to India a long time ago and was driving down the street, and there would be just vacated vehicles that were demolished in car accidents. And I was like, wow, look at that. And I'm like, why don't they tow this away and get rid of this? And these missionaries told me, that's not the big problem. And I was like, well, what do you mean that's not the big problem? They said, they just... Not only do they not care about this kind of stuff, they don't even care about the people. I said, well, what do you mean? They said, it's not uncommon for us to come up on an accident where people are just leaving people to die. And we have an SUV, and we'll just put the people in the back of the SUV and drive them to the hospital. And there were other people that drove up and drove away. Just left them. And they said, because they don't care about life, they don't care about people. And so, you know, you think because we live in the United States, everybody thinks like us and we care. And I think we hopefully care some here. But in other places, you recognize, man, people don't always care for people. And they just figure, well, if they die, big deal. And that's the truth. That's not an exaggeration. I was pretty amazed to see some accidents where people didn't do anything because I was there for a semester of school. And uh, you look around the world, and you can't measure care for people based on how people show it. And really, there is a care for humanity that is beyond everything that we could ever think. And this care, everybody needs and everybody's in a state of needing this care from god and ultimately people may recognize in themselves an emptiness you know or or something like that you know i know this from personal experience years ago when i wasn't walking with the lord i was vacant inside empty inside And I needed help, I needed somebody to care, and I found that by exploring all the avenues of life that people want their rights in today, you know, back then you did those things illegally. Now, we're demanding these to be legal. Whether they're legal or illegal, they don't ever really help. You know what I'm talking about? Things that the Bible defines as sin and different things like that. And so I needed somebody who really cared. And sometimes, you know, we do things really caring. I remember being at a party one time, and all these people were drinking, and this one guy was there, and he wasn't drinking. And I just had this moment. I wasn't saved or walking with the Lord. I walked over to him. I said, I notice you're not drinking. He said, no, I don't drink. I just wanted to come hang out with people. I said, let me tell you something. Don't start getting drunk. This will do nothing for you and I turned back and just went and got drunk. (laughs) But, you know, sometimes, you know, there is something in us where we do care and realize, though I might not be hitting the mark, please don't go down this path. And uh, we need to recognize that though people may have some care, it just is not the measure, and it really can never meet what people need concerning care. You know, because a lot of times we see things and we're dealing with symptoms instead of dealing with the cause. You with me? Years ago, we cut down a tree in our yard when I was younger and, uh, you know, took the thing out, but little things started growing all over the place. Well, we had to deal with the roots. We had to get down to what was producing, and that's where God is. God cared so much for humanity from the beginning that he set up a plan that was based on his care for man and what he wanted. And really, you know, in our lives, there's a lot of things that we may fight on and fight over and think this is the most important. But when it really comes down to it, life is short, and we really need to know what the priority is and what does God look at as valuable and what does he care about most. You with me? And what he cares about most, he did the most for. And when we look, we realize if you study the Bible, you realize what God did the most and the most for was mankind. When he created the earth, he put everything here, then put man here last so that man wasn't here without And then when man messed everything up, immediately he gave a promise and said, I'm going to send help to fix things in your life. Now, it took a while till that promise came into being or came to the earth. We know him as Jesus. But it really was a plan of his great care for humanity. And it was the only thing that could solve the problem for man was what God did. There is nothing a man could do to solve their own problems, their own plight, their own place. There's nothing that they could do. And so this verse right here to me is so fascinating. Years ago, there was a guy who would be at football stadiums, probably more than one, but one that was prominent, and he always had a wig on. So how do you know it was a wig? Because most people don't have rainbow color hair that's like this wide. This is my guess. And he would carry a sign that said, John 3.16. And people knew there was a, what's this John 3.16 business? You know, a side note, I knew a traveling minister, a lady, who was stalked by that guy, so I think he was preaching and maybe not living it. (laughs) True story. So it's better to not just wear a shirt, but live it too, or carry a sign. But this verse here to me is so fascinating John 3:16 it really shows God's care toward humanity. In other words, his care toward humanity was not just the act that Jesus did, and it was left there. His care for humanity goes on and on and on. This act is till he returns. And then actually, anybody who receives this that he did, it goes on forever and ever. John 3, 16, most of us are familiar with this, but I'm going to read it. For God so loved, or you could say he cared, for the world that he gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life or live with Him forever. So this is God's plan of His care for humanity. He was trying to solve the problems. What people don't realize is provision, health, soundness, victory in life, was part of God's original plan before man fell into sin. God had made provision and all that. And the first Adam, the Bible says, sinned. And that whole thing collapsed and everything got goofed up. And I mean, you can read through there. People started worshiping wrong, doing stuff wrong. There was provision there though. All this different stuff. If you don't know the Bible, you may not realize the Bible calls Jesus the last or the second Adam. In other words, he came to get back everything the first guy lost. And what did he get back? He wanted man. God always cared for man. And in his creation, he set stuff up so they could rule and reign and have a full supply in every area of life. And I'm not just talking like financial things. I'm talking in their emotions, every part of their life. They could live full. They could live with others, and it would be good. That's what God wanted, and it got all jacked up. So God set a plan in order because he cared, and he knew what was best for man. And so here it tells us he loved us so much. And a lot of times when people think about God's love, they go, yeah, God loves us, But, you know, he's could be ticked. You never know. Because we think that way whether we know it or not. Because you'll have people who don't believe in God, then they'll get on the news when a storm hits and go, God's judging us. I thought you didn't believe in him. Deep down they do, and then they're thinking God's angry. We've been doing wrong. That's why he did this here. You know, and this is why he did this in this city. And they've got some wrong ideas, because God doesn't wipe out the just with the unjust. You with me? That's not the way he does it. And if you go, like when Katrina hit, that was a while back, you look, there were churches that were devastated, and some of the higher ground, where some of the worst stuff was, didn't get touched. So God messed up, but he's trying, No, God's a good God, and he cares about humanity. And so this second verse right here tells us when God came because of his love, he kind of cracks it open a little bit more so you can recognize his character in his love. And there's a lot of people who are Christians and don't even really recognize that they say they believe in God's love, but they miss it. say, well, what do you mean they miss it? They live condemned all the time. They think God's mad at them all the time because they didn't measure up to some standard. I will tell you this. I don't care who you are. You as a Christian will never be perfect. And now that's not an excuse. Oh, well, that's awesome. Let's go do what we want to do. No. But we do need to recognize you will never, no matter how good you are and you may be really good, and I mean, you may be moral, which is great. You might have great character, that's great, but you're never going to be that perfect. So if you would recognize condemnation, this is where I was getting to, was never from God, never for His people who receive Him. And people live condemned all the time. Oh, I just, you know, I was going to go to church, but I did wrong. Well, I w- was going to, you know, do this, but, you know, I just... And, and they beat themselves up. And I'm talking about believers, not just unbelievers. I'm talking believers. And notice this verse, though. We should know this because we know John three sixteen, right? John three seventeen comes right after. If they're still teaching that in school. 16, 17. For God did not send His Son into the world. Now, you can't stop there because it said God so loved the world that He sent His Son. Then the next part says God didn't send His Son. Well, I'm confused. Well, keep reading and your confusion will go away. And there is a truth in that. Keep studying and confusion will go away in your life when you study His Word. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world... Let that sink in. God didn't come to condemn the world. Why? Because he cared and he loved the world. And I'm talking people who still don't receive him. He still cares and loves them. Now, does that mean they're saved? No. But that doesn't negate his love. But then just because you live right doesn't mean he loves you more. Thank you. We just need to recognize God loves us, period. That does not mean that, you know, because he loves us, he does not love them. I mean, there's nobody you've ever seen or heard that God doesn't love. Now, does that mean that he just is for what they're doing? No, that would be foolish because you can read that in the scriptures. But notice this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. How is the world going to get fixed? Well, if Republicans get in office, if Democrats get in the office, if we overthrow the government, if we take over the world, if we have one, no, none of that's going to do it. None of it's going to do it. The only way things are going to get fixed and saved is ultimately the big fix is when the Lord comes back. But fixes within the system are going to come when believers pray and we reach people and people get saved. That's where it comes. Why? Because then people come into union with God. And when people are really in fellowship with God, when they come to know Christ, they will be different on the inside. And then transformation after comes from growing in the truth. But notice this, he said he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that word saved right there does not mean a religious idea of just being born again. Or, you know, like we say, ah, what happened to you the other night? You look different. I remember this girl I knew who, uh, came to church, and she gave her life to the Lord, and her friends, I noticed it on her. I thought, wow, what happened? You could just see it, and her friends were like, what happened to you? I got saved. Light came into her. She looked totally different. She told people, I'm saved. I still remember one of her friends called me years later, And I was witnessing to her about the Lord and telling her about the Lord. And she said, yeah, I think I should do that. And she said, you remember so-and-so. I said, yeah. She said, I remember when she gave her life to the Lord. What you're talking about, she looked totally different. And we all knew it. And we didn't know what it was. We didn't know how you could look like that. And we recognized there was a huge difference. Well, what difference was she got eternal life. And we call it being saved. But do you know... Um, If I gave you a slice of the pie and said, here's a piece of pie, and I just gave it to you, is that the pie or a piece of the pie? It's a piece of the pie. And really, when we talk about being saved, there's a whole lot more to just receiving the Lord and having your sins washed away a person gets a new nature. This word saved right here literally means to be healed, to be made whole physically, to be divinely protected, and it goes on through a list of things that that word means. So when the Bible said that God sent his son to save the world or to save people in the world, he was basically saying, so that they can come back in fellowship and be provided for, be protected, be delivered, be watched over, be healed, be everything that he intended. And we need to recognize that, that the truth is when someone comes to the Lord, they're different. And it was God extending his love, his care toward humanity that did this. And so in the 18th verse, to me, is real interesting. Actually, he carries this thought all the way through. It says this, He who believes in him is not condemned. Whoever believes or receives Jesus is not condemned. And then it goes on to say, Why? Because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. You know, a side thought, the world is already condemned without him. You know, have you ever heard that, like, when a child is born, they'll run tests sometimes, and they'll go, we need to see if this gene passed on, because if it did, this child's going to end up with the same thing the parent did. And they're like, and their parent had it, and their parent had it. You ever heard of that before? And they go, this gets passed on. There is something that gets passed on through humanity that you don't need a blood test for, you don't need, you know, DNA testing for. If you're in the human race, because of the founding fathers, mom and dad, Adam, Eve. Sin traveled through the human race, and man comes to a place when they, as they grow, they become conscious of a void inside of them, and that they need something, and that's why people try all different kinds of things in the world. Now, there are people who will say, oh, I don't believe in that. But anybody who's honest knows there's purpose in life. And somehow, how do I connect with that? And the only way is through Jesus. And so when he says here, he who believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. They were already condemned. The world is in a state of, if something didn't happen, if there was no savior, the human race would be in trouble. And so he said, they're already condemned. You don't have to condemn anybody. I just can't believe you're doing that. You know, sometimes people do wrong, and, you know, especially someone who's a sinner, and you go, I don't know how you could do that. Yeah, you do, because you've done it too. It's real easy. Right? Some of us are more perfect than we know. But he said, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In other words, you're left in this state of abandonment, and where you have sin in your heart and in your spirit and you're separated from God, he said those people are already condemned. In other words, there's two people in the world. There's those who took the cure and those who haven't taken the cure. And we need to recognize that God cared so much, he was the only one with the answer for the world. We need to remember that the church is not just for us who have already come to know the Lord. It's so people can come to know the Lord for themselves. I'll tell you what, what if, you know, Jesus, because Jesus said this, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, he said, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a mansion. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Then he said, I go to prepare a place for you. God, you know, when Jesus came, Jesus went back to heaven, and God's plan was for eternal dwelling places for humanity. Wouldn't it be wild if we went to heaven and there were dwelling places made for man that were never occupied? Because those men that should have been there didn't. You know, we talk about hell, Like, you know, like that was part of God's plan, hell. And if you go read the Bible and you study and you look at what even Jesus taught, the Bible tells us that hell was originally and never intended for man, but was made for the angels that chose to rebel. Though man will end up there, it was not created for them. There is something else created for them. Could you imagine how that would be if there was? And I don't know that there will be dwelling places that would be made that would be unoccupied, but that would be wild. Because I do know this, God wants everybody to go, but there's a factor. Though he loves so much, though he cares so much, they have to know. They have to then receive him in order to get there when they die. Jesus said it like this in John 10. And this is really about life and existence and kind of everything that we deal with in this world. John 10.10 says this, and this is probably pretty familiar to people, but it says the thief or the devil does not come into people's lives or against you except for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That is a verse that every Christian should know. Because how many times do people on the news even say, we don't know why these people acted in such a manner. As if people, I know this may sound wild, but they'll think as though people get all their own thoughts from themselves. Somebody could be hearing the gospel message about Jesus, and there be a real power, God's power present, and a thought could come to him, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Jesus said it, when the word is sown, immediately the enemy will try to come to steal it from people. Why? Because then they won't know and be able to walk in what they should. And so Jesus said it like this, the thief does not come except for to steal and to kill and destroy. And some of those meanings are not as blatant as you would think. Some of these things, when it talks about except for to steal and to kill and destroy, some of the stuff like stealing is the terminology we'd get from pickpocketing. Where taking without you knowing who did it. Or when he talks about killing he talks about these terms as something offered as a sacrifice. You say, well, why does that matter? Because a lot of times I think that people think the devil's coming to them in a red suit with a pitchfork and they're going to see him when he comes and they're not going to realize he's like a pickpocket that before you knew it was him, it's gone. And when it talks about killing there, it means to offer up as a sacrifice. Here's how the enemy does these things. He'll make you offer up as a sacrifice because he can't outright just take. He doesn't have that power. He'll discourage you and tell you the thing ain't working. You're never going to get to the place where you thought you would get in the things of God. So you might as well just back away and back down right now. Then you do this. You offer it up as a sacrifice and you go, "Uh, I'll never make it. I'll just go do my own thing and it all burned. You just gave it as an offering. You just let that go. Because he can't just kill it and can't just destroy it. You just offered it up and said, I'm going to go do this instead of this. And you didn't realize he, the thief, had come. And he pickpocketed you. He got you to offer it up. You thought what you were doing was better than what God wanted for you to do. You thought, well, then I'll be missing something. You are, but not the thing you think when you offer stuff up like that. And people don't realize that some of those thoughts that are coming, those are the enemy. Those are the things that are not of God. Those are the devil trying to rob you. And people who think they're tough, man, I'll tell you what, when the devil comes, I'll just get him. And they don't even realize they've yielded to him. Because they thought he was coming, and he was going to be this dude, and he was going to be this... And then he shows up. And you didn't even know he showed up. And he left and your pockets are empty. So we need to recognize thoughts that come against people are to rob people. And God doesn't want people robbed. You with me? And so we have stuff in society that's getting built into society that's telling us there isn't a God. Or if there is a God, you can really never just know him that well. That's flat a lie you can get to know him real well. I mean, really good. Because Jesus didn't finish right there in that verse. He said, though the enemy comes, he said, this is true too. He said, John 10, 10, he said, the thief does not come except for to kill, to steal, and destroy. I have come Remember, God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but because he loved the world. And remember that phrase? He wanted the world to be saved. And we said that doesn't mean just one thing in life. It's the whole thing of life he wants affected. He said, the thief does not come, but he said, I have come. I'm glad Jesus came. I really am. He fixed some things. If people knew, they could take advantage of it. But ignorance is an enemy. And, and over the years, I've heard this, well, I just don't want to learn because if I learn, then I'm accountable. Anybody ever heard that? One person. Oh, more. Okay, I didn't. Maybe you just didn't hear me. But how many people have heard that? Oh, I just, I, would, I just ain't going to be studying, i going to learn, because then you're not accountable for it. Okay, do that with your driving test, too. You might not even get it, and then if you get it, you may get something else, too, called a ticket. I didn't know. I just, I'll tell you what, I just didn't want to learn, because I just, what you don't know, you're not accountable for. That is so not a true statement. What you don't know, you are very accountable for, and it could greatly cost you things that would have been very helpful to you in life. And so Jesus said, I've come to that you might have life, and it's too bad that we live in a country, well, I think our country is great, I mean, a good place to live, I've been all over the world, but that we don't have what's called like a romance language. You know, like Spanish is a romance language, and there's different languages like even the Greek language where a word means more, like when we look at the word salvation, than just one singular thing. It's like a diamond. It's multifaceted. It means more. So when we have the word here, I've come that you might have life, we just think, yay, life. You got life? Got life. We all have life. And we don't realize this word means something different, and it means different things at different places where it's written. And when he said, I have come that you might have life, this was a shocker statement right here. So he's like, Well, I'm not too shocked. Well, then go stick your finger in the outlet and get shocked, and you'll, that's shocking. This really is shocking. But the whole thing is, people don't know why it's shocking, because they don't know, because we have a word that we use in English, life, and we didn't have a word that could translate this well enough, which we would have been good to, because when Jesus said, I came that you may have life, you're going to know this word when I say it. It's the word zoe, and how many kids, you know, periodically, you know, you hear of a kid being named Zoe. I'm not going to ask hands after the last time. <laughs> so what you hear somebody, oh, that kid's named Zoe. That's a neat name. Oh, Zoe, you know, that. oh, Zoe. Well, what is that? It's actually a Greek word. It's th- this word right here. So this is how this would read. Jesus said, the devil came to do this stuff to you, but I've come that you may have the life as it is in God, in you. His quality and nature that exists in him would exist in you. So when you talk about getting saved, you talk about getting life. But you're not talking about life like, oh, hey, do you see them? Yeah, they didn't die. They're alive. No, we're talking divine life, the kind of quality of life that exists within God himself. When a person gets saved, that's what kind of life comes in you. So when Jesus said, I came because I cared and loved humanity, he was basically saying, what I want to do is we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. Anybody who would call upon me would get the life of God, the very existence, the way he has life in himself. You would get that inside you. That is a revolutionary thought. I've come that you might have life, and that you may have it more abundantly. How can you have the life of God and then have it abundantly? More abundant. So kind of tells you, hey, to live for the Lord and really go for it, you can have abundance of life not only in you but flowing through you, and it's not just life, it's the very life of God. And we need to recognize God cared for humanity so much. This is what the world's looking for. This is what people are looking for. And it's sad that when Christians come in, they don't go for it. Because somewhere, maybe some Christians have been lied to and said, well, you know, you don't want to go all the way for it. No, you do too, because you want this life in manifestation and working through you in a big way more abundantly. Life like God has abundantly. Because, you know, God's depressed. If there's anything God is, it's moody. No, He's not. Because the Bible said in His presence is fullness of joy, and He lives smack in the middle. And people who get close to that find that same joy. And so we need to recognize that religion doesn't give the answer to humanity. Jesus is the answer to humanity. And when somebody has Jesus in their life, it's kind of like a well that's been capped. You need to recognize you don't need something else. You need to tap into that life once you're saved. Because it's there. And you need knowledge to do that because ignorance will make you go, well, it's not there, or it will tell you this This is a good religious one. Wait till you get to heaven. It's going to be a dandy up there. But down here, it's going to be rough. Well, we know there's tests and trials, but the fact of the matter is we can tap into those things here and there. Paul said it like this, one of the writers in the New Testament, he said, having promise of the life that now is, and that which is to come. He said, you know what, this should affect your life now, and there. Here and there. And so if God cared, you know, for the world, how deep is his care for the world? Well, one, he expects us, let's turn to to 2 Peter, and we'll probably close with this verse. How much does he really care for the world? It's wild to think how much he cares, because I do know this, and I'm not saying this to anybody here, because I don't know if anybody has ever said this, but have you ever heard Christians say, man, I just wish we'd get out of here. Lord, just come back. (laughs) Let's get out of here. I mean, hey, if you're a Christian and you really know the Lord... You have to be careful about that because you have the reality of heaven. And it's like, well, I'd rather not be here. I'd rather be there. But we need to have God's concept on the idea because he came way back, you know, which wasn't long in his eyes, 2,000 years ago because of his great care. But we need to recognize this. We may want the mentality, I can't wait till I get there, but be careful about that Just come, Lord, and just be looking for him to come only. Why hasn't the Lord come? You know, it it goes back to how much he cares for people. You know, there is a scripture in the Bible that I've heard different people teach from. It talks about hastening the Lord's coming. You know what hasten means? To speed up. Could you imagine that there is a term that could imply the, a hastening or a speeding up? Well, it's not let's all get together when we pray this Wednesday night and we go, Come on, Lord, hurry up. Let's get out of here. I mean, hey, I'm for him coming back, but not at the ultimate expense. You say, What expense of this verse right here in 2 Peter 3? Verse 9, it says, and in the context, he's talking about the Lord's return and how the Lord is coming back. And how the Lord will come and the Lord does not lie about this promise. He even said, hey, even if it tarries, takes a long time. He gives different illustrations. He said it's going to happen. But he says this too. He said the Lord, verse 9, is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness. In other words, how many people, and he even said this, there will be a a generation right before he comes that will start saying, we've heard all these truths about, you know, we heard all these things about the Lord's coming, and he still hasn't even come. He ain't ever going to come. This is never going to happen. And the Lord told us right before he comes, you would hear that. But it tells us this. They count slackness one way, but he's long-suffering toward us. Here's the reason, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why is the Lord waiting? He wants people saved. Well, then he needs to get busy because I want out of here. Um, that's our responsibility. That's my responsibility. That's good. People are like, Good, I'm glad you admitted that. No, it's our responsibility. Because verse 10 goes on to say, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and and the works that are in it will be burned up. You mean that lamp I made in wood shop? Yep, that lamp. You mean that that ashtray I made in first grade? Why do they make every kid make an ashtray? (laughs) Yeah, that's going to burn too. All this stuff, it's just going to burn. You're like, Sir, like everything? Everything is going to get toast. And it's interesting, he said, people are going to say, it's taking forever, it's taking forever. What's the problem here? The problem is God cares about the world, but he said when it does come to pass, he said it'll happen, bam. Like that. And that'll be that. You know, I've had I I don't know about you, but I think about things like this, like. Like, are we going to know forever that last guy or girl that got saved? It was you, huh? You know, I mean, there's going to be somebody calling on the Lord right before, and then he's going to come back. And they're like, it, it was Lucy. She, she was the one. Or it was Fred. He was the one, the last one. And then, you know, I don't know if they're going to make him wear a hat forever or first thousand years we were there. No, probably not. But I think there is going to be a last one. Wouldn't that be wild if we did live to see that? And it was one of us that got to pray with that last person. You know what would be wild? Because when they prayed and said, Jesus, be my Lord, all of a sudden they would just be caught up. Because <laughs> that's what's going to happen. They'd get caught up. They'd go, uh, and they'd go, they'd look at you and go, I didn't know it was like this. And you're like, it's not. This is, this is the end. This is that thief business. Because somebody will be like that. I mean, they'll pray and they'll go, "If I would have known, I wouldn't have waited." And you're like, "No, nah, this ain't normal. <laughs> tr- it will happen. Somebody somewhere will be right at the end when that will occur. You know? Because how many of us, after we gave our life to the Lord, thought, "Man, this is so good. It's, it's too good to be true." How could people not want this? Because they haven't eaten yet. They haven't tasted yet. And then they live like, yeah, whatever. And if they would only taste and see like the Lord said, they would recognize. And so we recognize it from that standpoint. But if we're those last one or that last person, oh my. The other side is, is that the Bible plainly states there will be some who will have rejected him. And when he comes, it will then be too late. That would be not good either. I mean, I'll tell you what, it would be cool to pray with the last person, you know, and then that happened, and they look at you and go, whoa, but then what about the person who you're witnessing to, and they're like, no, and then you get caught up into heaven. That would be wild too, and that will probably happen, where people will be, no, I don't want that, whatever, and then all of a sudden... You know, maybe had different times. I remember one time talking to this guy at Home Depot. And uh, I could tell God was dealing with him real strong to give his life to the Lord. And I said, do you notice that? He said, oh, big time. I said, well, have you ever been in church before? You ever know the Lord? He's all, no. I said, but you know, this is real. He's all, absolutely. You know, he was probably late 30s, maybe maybe 40 or so at the time, forty early 40s. And I'm like, you should give your life to the Lord right now. And I said, I'm just going to stick with this because God's dealing with you. He said, you can if you want to. So I kept talking to him. I said, don't you keep noticing that? He said, it's so strong. I can sense this. I said, well, are you going to do it? You gonna give it? He said, no, I'm not. And he totally doesn't know the Lord, totally recognizing God is dealing with him. And I think to myself, where is that guy today? I know the Lord has probably endeavored again and again because of his great care for humanity, but what if that guy keeps pushing it off, and then one day, it's too late. Wow. Then he'll remember those times that somebody cared enough to tell him about the God who cared enough to do something. And so I'll say this today as we close. We do need to remember that Salvation should never end with us. You know, really what happened is somebody put a seed in you. The Bible is seeds. Somebody gave a seed to you and said, God really cares so much about humanity. And you said, Jesus be my Lord. Those seeds should never end with you. You know, we just have come through spring here. And probably most people whether you watch the news or you've driven maybe outside the city, you've noticed that we've had an incredible bloom. Anybody notice that? I better not ask for hands after the first time today. But we've noticed, wow, look at that. Look at these flowers. We haven't seen those before. Did they just come out of nowhere or where their seeds left there? for another generation or another year. And because of that bloom, there are going to be seeds that are going to be cast into the ground for another bloom. And here's the thing. We all have seeds that we have to cast before people or there will be no bloom that we desire to see. And the world has risen up and said, don't tell us about Jesus. Don't talk about Jesus. And it's the very thing that their heart cry needs but they've got to have a seed because here's the key about a seed it will reproduce exactly what it is wherever it's sown and allowed to take root. And so Jesus, he said this of himself. He said, I'm a seed. And he said, if I don't fall into the ground and die, he said, I'll abide alone. But if I do, he said, then there will be a harvest. And the big thing is now we have to share that seed with other people. And we do have a great opportunity with Easter, but I sure wouldn't want Easter to be our only opportunity, you know, to bring people, to reach people. Uh, Somebody said, well, how about the week after? How about every week we have a chance? You know what I mean? Every opportunity. No matter what people believe, I don't care. I'm not going to fight them on that. This is where we hold our line. Because people need the Lord.